If you have a Bible, I invite you to take it. Um, You can turn to the book of Acts, and you may also want to put a finger in Luke 24, the last few verses of the book of Luke. But if you get to Acts, that's fine as well. Um, Today we are beginning a journey through the book of Acts. Bilbo Baggins, J.R.R. Tolkien's character, speaking to his second cousin regarding journeys, said this, It's a dangerous business, Frodo, going out your door. You step onto the road, and if you don't keep your feet, there's no knowing where you might be swept off to. Such is the case when we begin a study in the book of, of the Bible, a book of the Bible. It's, it's a dangerous thing in the best sense of the word because studying a book can take us so much deeper into knowing who God is and into knowing who we are. Um, and as much as I want to take time in this study to sort of foreshadow uh, where we are going in the book of Acts, I have preached through books of the Bible just enough to know that there are places we are going to go that I cannot foresee, that are unexpected. Um, there is wisdom that will sweep us off, that will sweep us up into the wonderful truth of God. It's exciting to begin a journey like this because we don't know exactly what we're going to find. We have studied the book of Acts, and yet there's always new things to, to find here. And so I'm excited to step into this, this journey to put our feet on the road, as it were, and see where it takes us. Uh, The book of Luke is the first part here of the book of Acts. It's a two-part book, as it were. And the book of of Luke ends with an appearance of Jesus to the disciples where he eats with them, he instructs them, and then he is lifted into heaven from them. This is what it says in Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 44. It says, then he, Jesus, said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. That's a beautiful and a poignant scene that closes Luke's narrative of the life of Jesus. It shows the the joy-filled disciples and the triumphant Jesus rising to a place of power. And yet, Those closing words also leave us with a lot of unanswered questions. What does it mean that repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached from Jerusalem to all the nations? What is the promise of that Jesus, uh, this this promise that Jesus is 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 sending them with? And what does it look like to be clothed with power from on high? I want to know more about that. 
How will the followers of Jesus follow Jesus when he is not physically present for them to follow him? This idea that following Jesus is following someone who we do not see is, is not probably in their minds at that point. For the disciples, what did it mean to follow Jesus? It meant to walk behind him and to go with him. What's it going to look like now? And beyond understanding just what Jesus means by some of his statements or, by, or what the disciples are going to do, we might wonder if the disciples are capable of doing what they are being called to do. You'll remember that not many days prior to this, they had all run away from Jesus at the first sign of any kind of, a da- of danger. We could also remember that one of the core 12 disciples is in fact dead, having killed himself after betraying Jesus. And another one, Peter, the apparent leader, the rock, had just crumbled before a small servant girl denying that he ever even knew Jesus. And now Jesus, the one who kind of held everything together, is leaving. What's going to happen with this group? All of the Gospels close in a way that while revealing to us the glory of the risen Christ, they also leave us wondering, what's going to happen next? They close kind of with with cliffhangers, and most of them have no sequels. Matthew, Mark, and John are all one-volume Gospels showing us Jesus, but then that's where their works end. But good old Dr. Luke fills in the gap for all of us with a volume two. Uh, All the other Gospels are kind of a single movie. They're complete in that sense, but Luke is a two-part series. You might imagine reading the Gospel of Luke, and when you come to the end, that little box pops up in the corner like maybe when you're watching netflix and it says the next episode will start in five four three we've all experienced that and and when the the box counts down we're then taken to the book of acts this is this is part two of luke's gospel and as we read these verses in the beginning of the book of acts luke catches us up to speed the the closing scene of luke and the opening scene of the book of of acts sort of overlap luke Uh, reintroduces himself. We're taken back to those days just after Jesus has risen from the dead. And so we we see this in the the book of Acts, beginning in chapter 1, verse 1. Let me read verses 1 through 5. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the father, which he said, you heard from me for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. It's too much here for us to cover, to do everything I want to do, but boy, I love that phrase, not many days from now. We'll think about that probably next Sunday. But our our hope this afternoon is to present, uh, my hope is to present some introductory material to this book, and then think about the big idea, the purpose for the whole book of Acts. So I want to sort of pave the way for this study that we are uh, starting, and also in some way serve to excite you about stepping into this book and even motivate you to read through the whole book this week. That's one of my real practical goals. And so you might call this first part just introductory material if you're taking notes. 
This is just introductory material. And that may sound dry, but hopefully it's, it's not. Luke begins in Acts 1-1 with this phrase, in the first book. So this, of course, as referred to, is the, is the gospel of, of Luke, which was about, um, as it's described here, all that Jesus began to do and teach until he was taken up. That's what Luke's gospel contains. And it even begins with a very similar introduction to the one that we find here. So if you were to turn back to, to Luke chapter 1, you would see a real similar introduction. Luke begins his gospel by saying, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Here in this introduction, we find again, as in Acts 1-1, the name Theophilus, which means lover of God. Some have taken that to mean a, be a reference to all people who love God. And certainly there is, a, there is some sense in which the, the, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts are written to all who love God and desire to honor him in their lives. But this title, Most Excellent, makes us think that this is probably an actual person to whom Luke is, is writing. This may be the man who commissioned Luke to write these two volumes. He may have even financially supported Luke in the, the writing process. We find in what some would refer to as Luke-Acts, these two books together, that, that Luke took on this task of writing these volumes. He took it on with, with vigor and with precision, just like um, a doctor would, would, would do. Uh, Luke was a medical doctor, and he is very precise in what he does in compiling this narrative. His method in volume one would have been the same in volume two. He would gather as much information as possible from eyewitnesses, ministers of the word, and then set down an orderly account of all the information that he had gathered. So you can see Luke kind of walking around. Luke would, would speak to anyone that he could uh, who had known Jesus or experienced the events of the early church. And while Luke was not an eyewitness uh, of the life of Jesus, he doesn't show up at all um, in, in the gospel of Luke, we do find that he appears later on in, in the book of Acts. He was, in fact, an eyewitness of some of what happens to the Apostle Paul uh, in the cities where the gospel was taken in those early days. So he'll be, you'll be reading the book of Acts, and you'll hear the, the voice will shift. Instead of saying something like, they did this, he will say, we sailed from here to here, or we went into such and such a city. Luke spoke to eyewitnesses, and he himself was an eyewitness. Luke was an investigative reporter. He was someone who took facts and truth seriously, just as it would seem Theophilus did. And because of Luke's meticulous work, not to mention the guiding and inspiration of the Spirit, we can open God's Word, we can open up the book of Acts with confidence, knowing that it's trustworthy and that it's true. Knowing that, that men like Luke worked hard, and that they were led by the Holy Spirit to write these things down for us. To sit here and to, to read right now. We recognize Luke's scholarship. We recognize his, his accuracy. And we also know, Second Peter 1.21, No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Luke worked hard 
when it came to write this book. The evidence of that is clear. How much information he gathered and compiled for us. The book of Acts was, was not just dictated to him by the Spirit. Luke was not some sort of a passive instrument in this. Rather, he went about the task of recording these things for us. And in that work, the Spirit carried him along, guiding him, leading him even to meet certain people, helping him to rightly record these things in a book. Like a sailboat, Luke sort of set the rigging and hoisted the sails, and then the Spirit, the wind of the Spirit comes and fills those sails and supernaturally aids him in writing down these words for us. What an amazing thing that we have here in the book of Acts. This is why Luke can say in his gospel that he wrote these things so that we would have certainty concerning the things that have been taught. He wrote them so that we could be certain, have certainty, have have confidence, have conviction, have trust, have assurance that what we read in these pages truly actually happened just as it is recorded. That, That Luke spoke to eyewitnesses just like I'm talking to you right now. That people who had everything to lose by telling their stories came to Luke and they said, I saw the risen Christ. I heard him speak. He, he healed me. I saw him ascend. I, I was there on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit came with power. I saw what happened. I threw a stone at Stephen during his speech. I heard Paul preach in Ephesus and so on. Luke talked to people who heard and saw all of these things. The writers of Scripture announced to us in their confidence, telling us through their efforts and their scholarship and their deep trust in the Spirit's work, they say, we didn't make this stuff up. And in doing that, they call us all to reckon with what is recorded here. What are we going to do with this truth? What are we going to make of this history of a small group of men and women turning the entire world upside down? If you're not a Christian... How will you respond to the realities of what is recorded here? And if you are, how are we going to live in light of what Luke writes here about our brothers and sisters in the faith? We open the book of Acts and we open it with the confidence that it is true. But we also open the Bible not just with confidence, but with expectancy. Maybe you don't sometimes, but you can You can open the Bible with expectancy, knowing that God is going to speak to you through it because it is his word. With expectancy, knowing that that these words in those scriptures, it contains everything that we need for life and godliness. Knowing that these words are sharper than a two-edged sword. They can cut to your very heart, to your very soul. That God's word is a revelation and it's, it's a fire. It's a hammer. It's profitable for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, for training in righteousness. We study the book of Acts not simply so that we can know the name of the disciple who replaced Judas, but why that was so important to the early believers. We take note of all the different places that Paul went on his journey, not so that we can find them on a map, but so that we can witness the dynamic, unhindered spread of the gospel through ordinary people in the midst of terrible opposition and learn from that. We look at the face of Stephen. The scripture tells us it was, it shone like an angel when he was speaking. And we look at it not so that we can say, Stephen was the first Christian martyr. 
And we look at it so that we can learn how to lay down our lives for the sake of Christ, just like Stephen did. You see, Luke's purpose is not just to write a history of the early church, nor is that the Spirit's purpose in giving us this book. As, as with the gospel that Luke compiled, Luke is arranging, the, he's composing these events in an order, and he has a reason for it. He has included these testimonies in this book for a purpose, for a reason. What is the purpose of this book? That's what I want to think about now. What is the purpose of Acts? One reason it, that, that Luke seems to have written the book of Acts is this, to defend the faith against accusations of anarchy. <laughs> to defend the faith against accusations of anarchy. Anarchy may not be the best word, but rebelling against the authorities. Luke is writing this to defend the faith against accusations of anarchy. In Acts 28:22, the Jewish leaders gather to hear Paul, who had just come to Rome. They want to hear about the faith that he is propagating, and they're concerned about it because they say, that what they've heard is that this is a sect. It's a faction that is spoken against everywhere. The entire ancient world is speaking against Christianity. This is the concern in the city of, of Thessalonica as well. In Acts seventeen six, Paul and his companions are described as those who are turning the world upside down. That's what Christianity was viewed as. They're turning the world upside down. And Theophilus and Luke and, and everyone else we want to know, are these accusations true? Were the followers of Jesus causing disorder and strife wherever they went? Men like Theophilus need to know this. They want to know, am I going to follow just some sort of weird, rebellious faction broken off of the Jewish people? I don't want to mess with it if that's all that it is. Well, when the apostles and the others showed up in town, they, they certainly did turn things upside down. We'll see that in the book of, of Acts. Some of the things that happened when Paul showed up in a city are, uh, are pretty amazing. But Luke helps Theophilus and he helps all his readers, including us, to see that, that the reason that this often happened was not because of the Christians. It wasn't Peter or Paul who were causing the issues. In fact, Luke is at pains to show often that the Roman leaders of the day would declare the innocence of these early church leaders, that they weren't doing anything wrong. He does it in a similar way that he does to, with Jesus, who Jesus in the end of his life through all these trials is shown to be completely innocent of all the, the charges that they're bringing against him. The only thing that they get him on is that he said he was God, and that was blasphemy, they said, when in actuality it was true, and they were killing him because he said he was God, and he truly was. There's a parallel, if you read Luke and Acts, almost between the defense of, of Jesus as innocent before all of these, these different judges. And the same is true for the early church, that they are blameless, they are innocent in these things. The issue most often is the Jewish leaders. Paul and others are shown to be upstanding and blameless, but the Jewish leaders are causing issues. That's not to say that the book of Acts is against the Jewish people, but it's to show that, that the church was not causing riots. They were, they were simply proclaiming a truth that was and still is polarizing and divisive. What was happening is what Jesus said would, ha would happen. I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. And I caused division wherever I go. And that's what they were showing. 
Now take a step back and see how wonderfully practical that, that is for us in a world where we as followers of Jesus are often falsely accused of just causing strife, causing disorder, being against everything. Now sadly, sometimes those charges are true, but often they're not. And as we watch the truth of the gospel come against the beliefs of the surrounding culture in the book of Acts, we see how the Christians would stand boldly for the gospel while remaining blameless in the world. They, they show us how to submit to King Jesus in a world that calls them, calls them to bow to every other God. And they show us how to do that in a way that is full of grace and truth, a way that's full of, of boldness and conviction compassion and, and urgency. Our world is is different from the first century, for sure. And we're not able to just kind of follow in, in lockstep with what the early Christians do, did. But, but they reveal to us how we can shine as lights in a culture that loves darkness, in a culture that would accuse us of simply causing division and conflict. How do we stand for the truth and the truth that causes division. And how do we do it in a way that still honors others and honors God? In fact, I think the boldness of the early church is going to stand for many of us as a corrective. As a call to stand a little bit firmer. A little bit bolder in the truth of the gospel. To not be afraid of being seen as subversive or rebellious against the culture in which we live. To call us to submit to King Jesus rather than just capitulating all the time to the will of the world. To stand firm for grace and truth. And to do it with love. Of course, as we do that, we're not forcing a political agenda. We're not forcing our own ideals. We, we're seeking to see the kingdom of Jesus spread through the proclamation of the good news that he has come to bring forgiveness to everyone who will repent and believe. We say with Peter before the council and rulers of the elders and scribes, we say this, Jesus is the stone that was rejected, but he has become the cornerstone and there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That's boldness for the truth that we often lack. And we can learn a lot from watching these saints who face much greater opposition than probably any of us have and learn how to stand for the truth and proclaim with boldness and clarity the gospel of Jesus. That message that there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved, that's the, the spread of that message is what Acts centers on. So we've said that part of the purpose of Luke is to defend the faith against accusations of anarchy Another purpose is, and probably a greater one, is to describe the unhindered spread of the gospel. To describe for us the unhindered spread of the gospel. We refer to this book simply as Acts. And we don't mean the tool to cut down trees. Okay. But rather Acts, A-C-T-S, the things that are done. Acts. And if you look at the first page of the book in your Bible, you'll see the full title, The Acts of the Apostles. In some ways, the book does follow the Acts of the Apostles. Peter takes center stage 
um, in the early chapters. It's by his mouth even that the Gentiles first hear the gospel in Acts 10 and 11 as he speaks to Cornelius. We also see Philip proclaiming the good news to an Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8. And then much of the book from chapter 13 on focuses on Paul, who is an an apostle, he says, of, of untimely birth, who was converted from being a persecutor of the church to one of its greatest promoters. We get to read that story in Acts chapter 9. And we travel with Paul as he takes the gospel from Antioch all the way to Rome, which is where the book ends. And so in some ways we can think about this book as the Acts of the Apostles, as following some of these key characters, especially Peter and Paul. They stand out the most in this book. However, having mentioned Rome, that that's where Paul eventually lands and where the book closes, we could also say that this book is less oriented around characters and and more oriented around geography. Uh, It's organized around places. Acts 1.8 has often been um, seen as the outline for the book of Acts. So you look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8. This is Jesus talking. He says, but you will receive power... When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses, where? In Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. We watch this very thing happen actually in the book of Acts. So much of the, the first seven chapters centers in Jerusalem, but the persecution of Stephen forces the church to spread. And as the church spreads, we see Philip in Samaria We see the gospel spreading in Judea. And then we watch Paul go from Antioch to all these different places until eventually he lands in Rome. And that's where the gospel gets to uh, in in the book of Acts. Of course, as we think about that, it's it's not so much that the uh, centered around the apostles or or geography. But Luke seems intent on showing that the, the acts, not just of the apostles, but the acts of the spirit through the proclamation of the words of Jesus, through the proclamation of the gospel. It may be better to think of this book not just as the Acts of the Apostles, but the Acts of the Spirit through the church. You could even make a good argument to say that it's not even, it's the Acts of Jesus and the Spirit. That may sound strange, but if you read um, Acts 1.1, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Isn't that interesting? All that Jesus began to do and teach. As if he's still going to do more? He is going to do more. He's doing it in the book of Acts. Jesus is still active through the work of the Spirit. And so we we think that uh, when we think about the book of Acts, don't just think about the apostles. Don't just think about the geography. Think about the work of the spirit, the work of Jesus through the proclamation of the gospel. This is the great goal for the book. The the reason we move from person to person that we we forget what Peter's doing. The reason that Philip just gets one chapter. The reason that, that Paul occupies a lot is because Luke is not concerned really about them. He's concerned about the spread of the word through them. He has a a goal. He wants to show us how the gospel came from Jerusalem, went to these different places, and then landed in Rome. It almost reminds us of, of the book of Genesis. You remember, the seed is the key. That's what we're following the whole time. So we follow Abraham, and then we follow Isaac. We get a little note about Ishmael, but it's not as important because Isaac is the seed of promise. 
Then we, then we go to Jacob and Esau, and we hear about Esau, but then Esau fades from the picture. Why? Because Jacob is the line of promise. And, and the book of Acts, in a similar way, uses these different characters to show it's the spread of the gospel that's important. It's the spread of the word in this early world. So the book is tracing the explosive power and spread of the message of the gospel, no matter the opposition or obstacles that it faces. Luke marks the spread with some different summary statements throughout the book. And these are, these are key to understanding sort of what Luke is doing. You might write these references down. You can turn to them if you like. I'll read them all. But Acts 2, 46 to 47, after the day of Pentecost, we read, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. There's more than this, but you could turn to Acts chapter 6, verse 7. In Acts 6, 7, we read, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Notice again, the word of God continued to increase. Acts 9:31 Acts chapter 9 verse 31 So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit it multiplied Acts chapter 12 verses 23 and 24 Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. This is speaking about Herod. But the word of God increased and multiplied in contrast to Herod. Acts chapter 16, verse 5. Acts 16, verse 5 says, So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. Acts nineteen twenty one. I'm sorry, Acts 19.20. Acts 19.20. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. And then all the way at the end in Acts 28. And as we've seen in studying um, scripture passages, that the beginning and the end is so important. And what are the last verses of the book of Acts? Acts chapter 28, verse 30. Speaking of Paul, he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. I love those last two words, without hindrance. Luke is showing us in this book how the message of Jesus did not fizzle out in some upper room like a dud firecracker but how it exploded into the surrounding culture like thunder over Louisville. That's what this is happening. That's what's happening here. There is an explosion of the gospel in the early church. It happens through men. It happens in various places, but it's the work of the spirit through the word of God that is doing this. Here's then what I, I think Luke is saying to us with the whole book Uh, here in 2018, here's what he says to us through the Spirit, what he calls us to. Join in 
that's what he's telling us to do. Join in on the unstoppable, ever-expanding, spirit-empowered spread of the good word of Jesus to all people for the glory of God. Now, that's long, I know. But that's a whole book, okay? I did it in 24 words. I'll say it again. (laughs) Join in on the unstoppable, ever-expanding, it's always going further, spirit-empowered, remember this is the spirit is key, spread of the good word of Jesus to all people for the glory of God. Join in on it. He's telling us you can be a part of this. It's unstoppable. It's ever-expanding. It's spirit-empowered. It's the spread of the good word of Jesus to all people for the glory of God. Acts as a book is closed. It's, it's over, okay? We're not adding any more to it. But the unstoppable, spirit-empowered spread of the good word of Jesus to all people for the glory of God is still going on. And we, those who have been changed by faith in Christ and filled with his spirit, are a part of the continuing expansion of the kingdom of God until he returns and establishes his rule and reign for all time. And these, these past acts of the spirit through the apostles show us how God works and how God still works through his church, through the word, for his glory. Acts is not a blueprint it's a biography. If, if you read, if you, if you have a blueprint, you're going to need to do everything that it says. You need to follow. If it says you need a piece of wood that is three feet, two and three quarter inches, you need a piece that's three feet, two and three quarter inches. You don't need a piece that's three feet. Otherwise, it's not going to work. If we take the book of Acts like that, we're probably going to get into trouble. Because it is a unique period of history, and we'll see how it's hard sometimes to interpret that. But if we take it as a biography, it's different. If you read a a good biography, then you see the good, the bad, and the ugly of that person's life. You see the ways that you want to be like them, and you see the mistakes that they they made that you want to avoid, avoid. And a good biography can help us to grow and to change in positive ways, to do some things and not do other things. The wrong way to apply a biography would be to try to do everything that the person that we have just read about did, you know, to move into their childhood home, to try and say their exact words at all time, to dress like them. This would be fairly disturbing on various levels if you did that with some sort of biography. And so we need to be careful to look at the book of Acts in this way, to to realize that it's a biography of the early church. It's telling us how they did different things. It's not saying that it's always prescriptive, that this is the exact way that you have to do everything in order for God to work through the church. The right way is to, to, to think about this, just like we would read any biography, and how this person is gifted in different ways, and how we can live like them. And the same is true for the, the, the early church, we can look at Peter, we can look at Paul, we can look at the way that the churches were functioning and say, how can we learn from these examples to let the Spirit's work be true in us as well? We as individuals and as the church are not called to do everything just the way Acts describes it, but we should learn from our brothers and sisters from time past that, that God's spirit was working in them and God's spirit is working in us. And if God's spirit is working in us through the word, just as it did with them, we can turn the world upside down. 
or right side up, depending on, depending on your perspective. Acts then calls us to, to trust God, to trust God's means of building his church. And it's by the Spirit, through the Word. We trust God's means of building his church. We're not trying to come up with gimmicks to build his church. We do what, what the early church did. The proclamation of the word through the power of the spirit. We, it teaches us to not fear the opposition of others. Opposition is inevitable. But we don't have to fear that. That's not a reason to be quiet. That's not a reason to not proclaim the gospel. The book of Acts teaches us to be bold and blameless in our proclamation of the truth of God's word. We want to be like Paul, where they could not bring accusations against him for doing wrong things. The church needs to have a holiness about it, a boldness, but also a blamelessness. We, we learn from Acts to believe that God can use faithful men and women filled with his spirit to transform people's lives and to transform the culture for his glory. God can use you and God can use me because the spirit is the same and the spirit can work through us and the word is the same and the word has not lost any of its power. Acts is an exciting book. And, and while the, the period of history was unique and it's unrepeatable, the spirit is the same. And so we can, as we read the book of Acts, we can say, let's join in. Let's join in on the unstoppable, ever-expanding, spirit-empowered spread of the good word of Jesus to all people for the glory of God. That's what we are invited into. We're not going to put our stories in Acts chapter 29, Acts chapter 30. That's not the goal. But in many ways we are. We are adding to this expanding glory of God that's spreading around the world. My hope is that you're excited to begin the journey. And I know many of you have told me that you are. To, to begin this journey to, to, to think about the book of Acts, but not just that, but to begin the journey of, of joining in on what God is doing through his spirit, through his word. And if you're excited about it, then you know what the first step would be? Read the book of Acts. Read the whole thing. And read it with this idea in mind that we can join in on this. Read it with some of these themes that we've talked about. Look for these, um, these um, summary statements. Here's how I want to encourage you to read the book of Acts. First of all, in your um, bulletin, on the sermon notes page, there's a code at the bottom. Did you see that? Did anyone decipher this? <laughs> so, yes, this is, this is a strange code. These are the chapters of Acts. Uh, I divided it into four different sections. Here's... The, the goal of this. This is not simple, but what I think would be encouraging and helpful to, to each of us is to read the story of the book of Acts and to read it in four different sections, to read it in those large chunks to get a feel for the flow of this book. And I think those are good breaks. In, in one through seven, we come up um, to the martyrdom of, of Stephen, and that's where the, the, the church is really centered in Jerusalem. Um, chapter 8 to 12 shows us Philip in, in speaking to the Ethiopian eunuch and things start to spread in Samaria and we read the story of Cornelius um, in 10 and 11 and 12 has a little bit of a summary. In Acts 13, uh, Paul begins his missionary journeys and we see the first two. And then in 21 to, to 28 is where Paul is beginning to head to Rome. 
And so we, it's a, a way to think about the book and, and the way that it's moving. So here's how I want to encourage you to read the book of Acts. I want you to do it, if at all possible, out loud or with some sort of an audio version. Um, you can pick a different translation that maybe is easier to read out loud. Um, this would be in, a, in addition, I know, in addition to whatever other Bible reading you're doing. Don't stop doing that. Um, and so I'm j- this is just four times that you're setting the time aside time to do this, to do it out loud. I would encourage you to do it with others, uh, whether you're listening to it, the audio together, uh, whether you're doing it with a family. I know some of us with young kids to think about reading this much scripture together may be hard, but I think it could also be if you if you choose maybe a more modern translation that they can track with a little bit better, it may help them to to catch the the excitement of what's going on in this book. So you want to read it out loud. You want to read it with others. Think about maybe what translation choice uh, you have. Feel free to use the ESV, which is what we'll be going through, but feel free to use something else. Um, Take note of some of these things that we've talked about, characters, summary statements, places, the spirit. Um, From best I can tell, most audio versions, it takes about two and a half hours to read, for them to read through the book of Acts. So that's a good gauge. Two and a half hours for you to read the whole book. So each of these sessions would be about a half hour, 45 minutes. Tell me a better use of your time. Tell me what TV show is more edifying. Uh, Tell me what other book you're going to read that would be better than this uh, unchangeable word of God that has been given to us by Luke's hand through the power of the Spirit. Uh, If you come up with something better, please come and tell me. and I will let you pass on this assignment. But uh, know that I'm going to try to do it too. Uh, I'd love to see it happen within this next week. This is just a goal. Maybe this week is a terrible week for you, or you can get one or two of these times in. That's fine too. Spread it out. Maybe you want to do it over four weeks. I'm just going to try to get one night. That's fine. I'm not a legalist on this, okay? But I encourage you to read it. And another supplement, we've looked at one of these before, but the Bible Project um, does some wonderful videos that help us summarize, help you think through the whole book of a Bible. And they have a two-part series on the book of Acts, the Bible Project, and it's called Read Scripture. Bible Project, Read Scripture. You can find it on YouTube. They're about eight minutes long apiece, and they will show you some of what we've talked about, a big scope of the whole book of Acts. Secondly, read the Word. So what would be the obvious next thing to do would be to pray. Let's pray together that God would use his word. Let me give you some ways to pray um, and ways to pray even now as we enter into a time of silence to reflect on God's word. Pray, pray for me. Maybe that sounds selfish, but please do. As we take this journey, I want to lead us well through the book of Acts. Please pray that, that as I study, I'd be able to see God's word clearly and be able to communicate it clearly. Pray for yourself. Pray that that you would grow as God would have you to through this study of the book of Acts. Pray for our church. Pray that, that this season and in whatever season God is leading us into, that we would be able to join in on the spread of God's glory in this world. What does it look like for Grace Fellowship Church to learn from the book of Acts and to apply this biography to our lives? What's that going to look like for GFC in this season? And third, I think we can be motivated to pray for all people. 
if this book is about the spread of the gospel to all nations, then it opens our hearts to see that the gospel still hasn't spread to everyone, but that it can. It's powerful enough so that we would pray that others would know the truth of the gospel. They would know the forgiveness of sins. They would know the new life that can be theirs through faith in Jesus. The book of Acts is an explosive, powerful, exciting book. I encourage you, read it. Pray for our our time together in God's word. But in all of this, let's always be looking to say, not that we would just know this book in some sort of cerebral sense, but that we would be able to, we would be motivated to join in on what it shows us, that we would join in on this unstoppable, ever-expanding, spirit-empowered spread of the good word of Jesus to all people for the glory of God. This is who we are as a church. This is what we want to be a part of. And Acts not only excites it in our hearts, but helps us to see how we can stand for this truth and see it spread throughout our city and throughout our world. Let's take a moment of silence and pray. And again, uh, we said to pray Pray for me as we, as I try to lead us well on this journey. Pray for you that God would help you to grow through this study. Pray for our church and pray for all people. Let's take a moment of silence and then I'll close this in prayer. Lord God, we thank you for our brother Luke who has written these things down for us. Lord, what a a faithful man to us serving the church, compiling narratives, writing these things down. Lord, thank you for your spirit that inspired him and carried him along. Lord, thank you for men and women through the centuries who have preserved your word for us. Thank you that we sit here with it in our laps and surrounding us in all these chairs, Lord, that we are surrounded by your word. Help us not to just be surrounded physically by it, but that it would sink deep into our hearts, that our lives would be saturated with the truth of who you are. Lord, we have so much to learn from our brothers and sisters in this early church in so many many ways that we can grow. And we pray, Lord, that you would do that. I pray, Lord, that you would help me as I lead our church on this journey, that I would say what is true, that you would help me to go at the right pace, that you would help me to um, see the insights that are there, to apply it well, to, to linger where we need to and to think about larger sections when we need to. 
Lord, I pray for each person that individually they would be convicted to, to see where they can grow in these different areas, to grow to see the Spirit empowering them to spread your word to all people. I pray for our church, Lord. What a unique season we are in to think about the core of the church, uh, to think that um, of what it looks like to be your people gathered in a specific place, or to even look at the, the history of what that looked like in the early church and, and what was important and what was not. Lord, guide us in that and, and guide us into wherever you are leading us. Lord, I pray even in the unique situation we are in, not having a building, meeting at 3 o'clock on Sunday afternoons, Lord, that we would still see it as our goal to, to join in on what you are doing to spread the gospel to all nations and that we would find ways to do that. When we do pray for all people, pray, Lord, for those nations that are unreached, for those nations that are are closed off to the gospel where people have never heard Lord, we pray that they would know the truth of the gospel, that it would get into that culture, get into those countries, and that you would receive the glory that is due to you. Lord, thank you that we can open this word with confidence and expectancy. And we are excited to learn and to grow, to be challenged and to be changed and to be a part of what you have been and what you still are doing in this world. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.